We're going to read just three short but really important verses from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. We're going to read verses 30 and 31 and 32. And so now please listen for the word of God from Mark, chapter 6, 31, excuse me, 30 to 32. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. In March of last year, I was listening to a podcast. Any of you listen to podcasts ever? Okay, a few more at this service. At the first two services, not many people raised their hand. And uh, to me, it's just it's so, so great to have this audio when you're mowing the yard or you're on a long car trip or something. To, yeah, anyway, podcast people, check it out. They're great. And check out the Timberlake United Methodist podcast, and you can hear sermons by yours truly and by Pastor Matt. So I was listening to this podcast. Okay, commercial's over now. Uh, and uh, it's called, the podcast I was listening to is called On Point by Tom Ashbrook. And uh, they were making the argument that a curious and tragic thing happens to boys as they become men. Now, we know that uh, boys lose certain things when they become men. Uh, among the things we lose, uh, we lose our inhibitions uh, to some extent. We lose our fear of the opposite sex. That, that's a good thing, right? And uh, we, we lose our hair, uh, some of us. Uh, but, but most troubling of all is that we lose our friends, this podcast was making the argument that we, that we lose our friends, and my first thought was, uh, well, that's not a very nice thing to say about guys, and my second thought was, could that possibly be correct? And my third thought was, oh my gosh, they're right. They're right. And they were making this argument that middle-aged men have no friends, and I thought, wow, they're on to something here. And it seems to me this is how life goes. You're in school, and you've got a ton of friends, or at least a ton of potential friends friends all around you, and, and there is time built into your day that is explicitly for time with your peers. And so there's recess, and, and there's uh, after school, and there's time on the bus, and there's time on the weekends. And then as you grow, uh, it's pretty much the same in high school and in college and in graduate school. There's this community that is just around you, built into your life. But then something happens when you graduate and you get a job and you get married and you have kids. And these three commitments tend to take up most, if not all, of our time and our energy. Now, don't get me wrong. These are really good commitments, aren't they? These are blessings of God, things like jobs and spouses and children. And yet, and yet, uh, there is a sense in which by giving ourselves to these things, sometimes we neglect or don't have time for some other important things in our life. Now, let me name the nuance of this. Part of the nuance of this is dads today are differently invested in their kids than some dads from generations previously. Dads today change diapers, right? Dads today help their kids with their homework. Isn't that a good thing, right? And yet, perhaps it means that dads today are taking some time that they used to spend with their friends and giving it to wives and to kids instead. So, so here's a typical day. You know, you wake up, you go to the gym, you go to work, you come home from work, you eat dinner, you hang out with your family for a little while, and then you go to bed, 
And then the next day you wake up and you do it all over again, right? And the weekend is not too much different. On the weekend you mow the yard and change the oil and fix the plumbing and you grill the cheeseburgers. You maybe watch the game. But pretty soon Sunday night comes around and you're getting ready to do it all over again. Or maybe you're an older guy and uh, you're a little later in your life and maybe you've been through a divorce or maybe the death of your spouse and you realize oh my gosh, you know, my spouse was the person I spent all my time with. Now what do I do? Now where does that leave me? Okay, so if you're thinking, gee whiz, Pastor Brad, you're crazy. I've got a ton of friends. I don't know what you're talking about. More power to you. Then I I think that is awesome. We can learn from you. Uh, But I want to suggest that if that's you, you are probably the exception rather than the rule. Because the reality for a lot of us is we do not have the kind of friends that we need. Now, another exception to this is the ladies. The women that we know and love often do a better job of maintaining friendships and relationships with their peers than the guys do for whatever reason. In fact, when I call my guy friends on the phone or text them and say, hey, you want to hang out tomorrow night? Do you know what they say to me? Let me check with my wife. Right, right. Now, I'm not picking on them because that's a good thing, and I say the exact same thing. They call me and say, hey, you want to hang out? Let me me check with my wife, Donna. Now, why do we do that? I think, one, because we want to honor our wives, and we want to honor whatever plans they may have made. But also, I've noticed the women are often the keeper of the social calendar for the family. Have you noticed this? Now, it's not a hard and fast rule, but it seems to be that's the way it plays out. And why is that? Is that because God made women differently than men? Maybe. Uh, it certainly seems that we have socialized women to do that differently than men. But what about us guys? What about the dudes? As if uh, not having friends was not a problem enough, let me make it worse for a second before we talk about solutions. And what's worse is the Boston Globe reports that the biggest health threat facing middle-aged men is not obesity, and it's not smoking, and it's not heart disease. It is loneliness. Loneliness. Men who are socially isolated are much more likely to get sick than men who have friends. Men who are socially isolated are at a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, of stroke, and of the progression of Alzheimer's. In other words, loneliness can literally kill you. Loneliness can kill you, friends. It's time for us to start taking this as seriously as we do the other challenges and problems in our lives. Now, part of this is we have been fooled into thinking that this device means we're never alone. Because, you know, I can push a button here and I can talk to people halfway around the world and isn't that great? Yeah, that's great. That is great. But let's not pretend that this connection is a substitute for real connection when you sit across the table from someone and pour out your life and laugh together and cry together and and enjoy the relationship that we can have when we are in one another's presence. Loneliness in the United States is increasing rather than decreasing. Studies say that over the past few decades, the number has moved from 20% to 40% of Americans who count themselves as lonely. 40%. Imagine four out of every ten people in this church who would say, yeah, I'm lonely at least some of the time. I can tell you from my own experience, I have had a season of loneliness in my life, and it was the seven years, more or less, that we were in our last home in the Shenandoah Valley. And I had friends, so I had friends from high school, 
had friends from college. I just didn't see them that often. And as a pastor, I was surrounded by people, right? Lovely people, wonderful people, many of whom wanted my attention. And so we spent time together. And we met new people, and, and I was always making some new connection. There were neighbors who lived all around us. We lived in a great neighborhood. There were friendly people. They were nice people. And yet, for some reason, I had almost no friends in that community. Have you ever felt lonely in a crowd? You ever been surrounded by people and felt like, oh, I don't really have any real connection with any of these people? I prayed for friends. I asked God to give me friends. I pray for a lot of stuff, but uh, uh, during this season of my life, I prayed for friends. And I want to tell you, God answered my prayer. God gave me friends. In this community over the last two years, I have made better friends than I've made maybe ever in my whole life, and I'm so grateful for them and for who they are to me and for what they mean in my life. Now, along this way, however, God has taught me some things that I need to do differently and the ways I need to think differently about friendships. And one is, uh, it's not a sin to sacrifice some good things for the sake of friendship. And maybe I need to tell my kids, I love you, and daddy's going to go have one night a week away to be with my friends, just like my kids have all kinds of time with their friends. Or maybe it's okay to sacrifice an hour or two of sleep after I get the kids in bed so that I can go hang out with some friends, uh, even on a weeknight, and, uh, and, and say, you know what, I'm willing to take a little less sleep so that I can have that time with my friends. I've also learned I don't have to be so choosy. I think I used to think that every person I met had to be a potential best friend, or they just weren't like, worth investing my time in. But God's shown me I can, I can enjoy the company of lots of different people in my life. A third thing that uh, God taught me is that I'm not the only one. I used to see other people interacting and think, oh my gosh, all, everyone else has these amazing intimate friendships and I'm the only one who doesn't have close friends. That's just not true. <laughs> There's a lot of people that are lacking in these friendships as we've talked about. So what I want to suggest to you today is that this is so important because this is essential to our well-being. We were made for this. We were created to be in relationship with one another. So look with me at Genesis chapter 2 and the story of creation and the way God made us to be human. In verse 18 of chapter 2, the story goes like this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Now when we read this text, what is the, the, the concept of relationship we usually think of? Marriage, right? We usually think of marriage. And this is about marriage. But it's deeper than that also, and it's more than that. It's not just about marriage. It's also about human relationship, about friendship. Notice with me, in the creation narrative, this is the first time that God referred to anything as not good. Okay, up until this point, God made everything and called it good or even very good when he made human beings. But now he says something is not good. And what does he say is not good? It's not good that the man should be what? alone. Okay, so notice, the problem is not singleness, friends. If you're single, if you know people who are single, that's not a problem. In fact, if you read the Apostle Paul, he seems to say singleness is better than marriage, and that's another sermon for another day. But the problem is not singleness. The problem is being alone. The problem is isolation. The problem is separation from other people. Any Star Wars fans here today? Okay, a few of you. All right, yes, Star Wars, great movie series. Uh, do you know the problem with Han Solo is that he always wanted to go it alone? 
He wanted to do his own thing. He was a maverick. He thought he didn't need anyone else's help. And so we realized pretty quickly, actually, we do need one another's help. And Han was wrong. He needed his rebel brothers and sisters, right, to, to fight back against the empire. Okay. So what did, Adam, what did Adam and God do about this problem? Well, they took an inventory of all of the rest of God's creation in search of a suitable companion for Adam. So look at verse 20. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. None of the animals that they cataloged and inventoried were suitable as a partner for Adam. Now, we love animals, don't we? And especially we love our pets. We love our dogs. We, we even love cats for some reason. I don't know. You cat people can explain that to me after the service. All right? Uh, but... but a pet will never substitute for a human, right? As much as we love our pets, there's something that we need from human beings that we can only get from another man or from another woman in our life. And so as Adam looks through this whole uh, catalog, this whole inventory of animals, there's no suitable partner found. So God offered a solution. God made for Adam a helper. God made for Adam a partner, another human being with whom Adam can be in relationship. Now, what this means, friends, is when you and I neglect our friendships, we are neglecting the very essence with which we were made. This is that significant. This is that important. God has constituted our very being. Part of what it means to be human is to be in relationship with other human beings, to have friendships. And for middle-aged men like me and many of you, this has reached a crisis this has reached a crisis. This is a health problem. This is a mental health problem. Men are lonely and in need of better relationships. And there is one notable exception that I want to share with you. And the podcast pointed to this one exception. And that came as a surprise, but it makes total sense. The exception of middle-aged men who actually do have friends, recovering alcoholics. Recovering alcoholics. Now, why is it that middle-aged men who are recovering alcoholics seem to do so much better at this than the rest of us. Well, one, because they have acknowledged their need for relationships with other people in their lives. They get it that they can't be Han Solo. They say, I need other people's help, so I'm going to ask for help and receive it. Secondly, because they are intentional. People who are in recovery and go to 12-step meetings make it a priority, and they go every week, some of them, or some go every day. They say, it's that important. It's that important. I'm going to make every day. And three, because they participate in a structure in their life that makes that kind of friendship possible. 12-step meetings are explicitly designed to give, uh, the, bear the fruit of friendship, to bear the fruit of relationship amongst the people who attend. Now, this is a really old idea, friends. This goes back at least a couple of thousand years, all the way back to Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus, when he did his three years of ministry on this earth, and when we read about it in this book, the story of his three years of ministry, one of the things that we notice is that over and over again, Jesus is gathering with a group of people, intentionally setting aside part of his day, part of his life, to be in friendship, to be in relationship with these people, and that that made all the difference. So the Gospel of Mark tells it like this. This is what we read. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. 
He said to them, come away by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Now notice a couple things with me here. How many of us have had that experience? Life is so crazy. People are coming and going. You feel like you barely even have time to eat. Anybody had a day like that? Yeah, way too many of my days are like that. If you've ever felt overwhelmed by the crush of expectations from other people on your life, please know Jesus has been there. A lot of people wanted a lot of things from Jesus. They demanded something from him. And I want you to notice the way he responded to those demands. Did he respond by just giving everybody everything they asked for? No, actually. He, he said no to some people. He said no to some groups. He said no to some opportunities so that he could say yes to the right things, the call of the Heavenly Father, and in this case, to, to have some time apart to be with his friends. He took time away with a few close friends for rest, for community, to cultivate peace in his life. Now, I also want you to notice this. Did you notice the way that they got away was in what? A boat. They got away in a boat. Brothers, guys, if God calls you to buy a boat so that you can get away with your friends for spiritual time, then I am not going to stop you from doing that. I would never stand in the way of God's call in your life. Now, let the record show I'm recommending you talk to your wife first or other family members before you make this purchase. But hey, you know, if Jesus, if it's good for Jesus, it's probably good for us as well. Uh, so someone in the uh, Twitter sphere picked up on this um, and, and tweeted out something I think you want you to see this morning. Uh, this person tweeted this, uh, nobody talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. Right? We, talk about, we talk about a lot of his miracles. Uh, he turned water into wine and he raised Lazarus from the dead. But what about this miracle of a middle-aged man having 12 close friends? That's extraordinary, isn't it? That's extraordinary. And this is why, friends, because meaningful relationships don't just happen, do they? They are not an accident. It's not like you just wake up one day and stumble into a deep, intimate relationship. They take work, they take intentionality, they take sacrifice, and they take having eyes to see the opportunities that God has put before us. Think about it. How often does someone ask you about the health of your soul? I mean, think if we're honest, we, most of us would say, yeah, not, not that often. And you know what? Gosh, I can go entire days, I can go entire weeks when no one asks me about my soul. Now, they ask about a lot of other things, like, how you doing? Uh, and they expect you to say, oh, I'm fine, right? And you say, fine, back to them. Uh, or they ask us, how are your kids, or how are your grandkids, or they ask you, did you see the game last night? But we can go for long periods of time, friends, when no one inquires after our relationship with God the church of Jesus has a unique call to care for the souls of people. And I'm not just talking about are you in heaven or out, are you saved or not saved. No, I'm talking about the care, the nurturing of our souls so that we can cultivate this kind of intimacy with God and with each other. So what I want to offer you today are, are three steps toward a solution. Now, please get it. These are not the only three steps. This is just Pastor Brad's best wisdom for today about how we can address this problem of isolation and cultivate relationships with one another. And so step one is this. Acknowledge the need. Guys, especially. 
We need to acknowledge that we need relationships with other people in our life, that God has called us to be in relationship, to have friendships. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, right? So we are like tools for one another where we help each other improve. We sharpen our understanding. We sharpen our skills as, as husbands and fathers. We sharpen our faith in God by meeting together. Step one, we have to acknowledge that we need it. Step two, make it a priority. Each of us has to decide how important are friendships to us really. And if they are important, then maybe we're willing to sacrifice some other things to make it possible. Friends, I know how life goes. Sometimes it feels like life is just whizzing right past you, and the best you can do is sort of run and barely keep up, right? And it feels like rather than us controlling life, it's life controlling us. And we are at the mercy of our calendar and of our to-do list and of the demands of, of everyone else. So let me acknowledge that this is not easy or simple, that it's complicated. Let me acknowledge that we have commitments to good and right things, like jobs and our families. But let me also suggest, friends, that there is, there is this margin in our life. There is some open time. If we would look for it, it's there. And let's ask ourselves, do I want to take that margin, that extra time, and spend it on TV and social media and the like? Or, or is it okay and good to sacrifice, say, two hours of TV or social media each week and invest that in my friendships instead? Is that a good trade-off? For me, the answer is yes. You have to answer that question for yourself. Step two, make it a priority. Step three, embrace the structure. Embrace the structure. Think about a time in your life for a moment when you had friends all around you. What I want to suggest to you is my guess is that was the time when you were in school and you had peers all around, or that was the time when you had a certain job where you just loved all your coworkers, or that was the time when you lived in a certain neighborhood and you loved hanging out with your neighbors, or whatever it was, there was a structure in your life that made it possible for you to have those relationships. But the downside is, of course, when you graduate from school or move away from that neighborhood or quit that job, that structure is no longer in place. We need structures in our life that can support the possibility of having these kinds of relationships. So here's the good news for you today, friends. That structure has already been created for you here at Timberlake Church, and it is in the form of our life groups. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to invent a group. All you have to do is go to the website, find a group that is interesting to you, email the leader or call them, and show up. All you have to do is show up, and God will do the rest, I promise. God will do the rest.